Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Today, I have a wonderful guest, a friend of mine, Shahjahan Khan. I'm very excited to have him tonight. So, I would like to introduce myself and my book. My name is Julie Love. And my book is called A Gift from Adversity, which is overcoming sexual abuse, domestic violence, bullying, and homelessness. And this came out in 2020. I've experienced all of this growing up in Japan. And I had a lot of speaking opportunities. And then people asked if I had a book, and I didn't. So I decided to publish my book. And after I published my book, I got a lot of feedback that they also went through this um, adversities. So I decided to make a platform to um, share our adversities. So let's um, introduce our guest today. Shahjahan Khan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Jury. It's awesome to finally be on this thing with you. So can you tell our audience your name and then what you do and then you have a website for social media? Yeah, sure. So um, as Jury mentioned, my name is Shahjan Khan. I do a lot of things. Uh, I'm, um, I guess the way the Jury and I know each other is I'm an actor, I'm a voice actor, a podcast host. Uh, myself, I host this show called King of the World. I'm also... Um, a touring musician in a bunch of different bands. Uh, the one I've been with the longest for about 18 years is like a punk rock band. Um, and I, you know, I, yeah, I'm in like four, four bands cause one's not enough. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, you can find out, um, a lot more about me on my personal website, which is just my name, shahjahanahan.com. Great. Thank you so much. So uh, let's dive into our topic, which is an adversity and tools that you use to overcome and a gift that came from it. So would you tell our audience what was your adversity? Sure. Uh, I think this is a great topic and I really commend you, by the way, for doing this. Um, you know, it's super courageous. I think that, um, you know, a lot of us go through a lot of different kinds of adversity in life. I think for me, uh, in particular, um, was related to mental health and particularly, um, substance abuse. So I've now been sober, uh, clean sober for, um, 11 and a half years. Um, but definitely, uh, from basically the age of, uh, 15 through about 20, about 27, um, I was kind of like pretty, uh, you know, addicted to lots of different stuff, uh, just a problematic, you know, drug user, drinker, um, you know, coming also from like a, uh, being the, a, a child of immigrants. Uh, I think that's another thing that, um, well, I guess a first generation um, immigrant myself um, that was also kind of like brought maybe a different layer to, to that kind of adversity in the sense that um, it was just difficult to talk about that stuff. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, I would say the, the biggest uh, obstacle that I've, um, you know, had to overcome uh, in life would be, yeah, mental health and specifically um, substance abuse. So 
thank you so much for sharing that. It really um, means a lot that you're being a brave because this is a subject that, again, like not just, you know, being immigrant, but, you know, worldwide, um, I think it's not talked about. So therefore, mm -hmm. there's not so much uh, platform or places that you can share. Now, can we go back to age 15 that you mentioned that how did you get this, um, you know, addiction the, prior to that, like you know, prior to 15, can you identify what led you to that path? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I've, in some ways, I think I've uh, spent a lot of my life trying to figure that out and, you know, a lot of therapy and stuff. I think that it's hard to tell kind of what came first, you know, being um, someone who had a just sort of a discomfort with life, you know, from the very beginning, you know, I was told that I was an anxious and depressed uh, kid for sure. Um, I also kind of come from a family where not that there, this stuff doesn't exist, but uh, as, as you mentioned, I think it was like, and we just kind of talked about, it, it was hard to, to discuss it. Um, you know, I actually grew up in a pretty, small and boring town in Massachusetts in, in the US. Um, so it was actually, you know, pretty like normal for, you know, kids growing up around that age to start experimenting with stuff. And I think that like, for me personally, um, it just, it was something that I latched onto immediately in a way that like my friends didn't, you know, and it, it became something that like, sort of right away, um, I just, it seemed that I was somebody that wanted to escape, you know, escape my feelings and um, just didn't have a strong sense of identity, a strong sense of self for whatever reason. And I think a lot of, you know, not just immigrant kids, but particularly first generation immigrant kids go through that thing where you, um, you know, it's the whole like how much of the, the, the host, you know, American culture are you going to absorb? What are you, you know, what are you going to hold on to from your family? And, and, you know, not everybody, again, most people that, you know, drink and do drugs are fine actually but those of us that aren't you know for whatever reason uh that's kind of it's just tougher for us you know and I, and I don't know if it's because i had a predisposition to anxiety and depression that that was the case or you know um i had a pretty loving home for the most part um you know uh but that's just kind of what i gravitated towards um and yeah pretty much within i think five six months of, of starting to drink and smoke weed and stuff like i was doing it really very, very problematically, you know, changing my group of friends, um, immediately kind of losing interest in pretty much everything else in life, um, other than music, luckily, which we'll, I'm sure, talk about a little bit later. But yeah, does that answer your question? Yes, thank you so much for sharing that. Because, you know, sometimes there's so much stigma to talk about addiction, especially like opioid crisis and then, you know, drug and alcohol, where people just, kind of abandon you and then kind of label you in like you know, yeah and then i feel like then isolation happens and then you know there's no aid there's no help because you kind of fall through fall out from the regular society and then activities mm -hmm. especially when you're teenagers and young How yeah i think it's changing a lot um 
it has changed a significant amount, I would say, in the last 10, 15 years, the conversation um, in the U.S. particularly. Um, and I feel like at least and I'm speaking for, you know, in my case, Pakistani culture or South Asian culture, I think it's becoming more, you know, typical and normal to at least discuss mental health and that kind of stuff. But you're right. You know, it's still it's still stigmatized for various reasons. So when you were in the middle of this um challenge between you said 15 to 27 um mm. do you remember do you recall like some of the feelings like maybe lost or not sure or do you recall some of those like you know yeah oh, I have to do this or absolutely yeah i mean i i can still feel them very as if they were you know not not as strong but yeah i can definitely put myself back in the mindset of um you know, hopelessness and fear and, um, you know, having this, and they call it in, a, in recovery programs often, it's, it's called a terminal uniqueness, you know, feeling like you're the only one that is like you. And, and especially for me also, culturally growing up in a very white town, you know, I was sort of the only one like me for various reasons. And then I kind of became sort of like overnight almost like the high school stoner in a way and i adopted that uh, identity very quickly and so it just yeah so definitely feeling like um not enough of xyz you know also in my case having you know pretty uh, accomplished parents um and not being interested in in the typical stuff that you know whatever boring suburban america tells you you're supposed to be interested in you know whether it's like college or this and that um uh so yeah it was it was kind of um that's the kind of stuff i was i was going through and frankly that i not even even past high school you know when i started to get into at some point you know music became a thing and started to my band started to get popular and stuff and um so but behind that the substance stuff was kind of still happening so even though i was in some ways outwardly uh it seemed like i was doing well i still felt very like alone for various reasons but that that's the most like you mentioned i think the most common common thing is isolation and hopelessness what do you say about terminal unique something yeah that's a term that i heard in uh so uh and we'll i'm sure we'll get to this a little bit later but in places like aa and, and na and, and different 12-step recovery problems uh, uh pro programs excuse me um I've heard this term called terminal uniqueness, which which I understand to be um, the feeling that I'm just you know I'm the only one like me and I you know and that's like it's it's terminal and basically you know leading later to like suicide attempts and stuff like that. So does that make sense? Yeah, I just never heard of it, but it's uh, interesting. So did you mention about suicidal like terminal uniqueness? related to yeah so it got to a point for sure uh, when i after high school you know i barely made it to the end of high school and then i got to college and i dropped out and um and i did attempt uh, eventually did attempt suicide three different times um and one, one of the three was quite quite serious you know so i'm in many ways very very lucky that it didn't you know work <laughs> but um but yeah that, that's also a part of my story I'm very sorry to hear that. 
And then thank you so much for being brave to share it on my podcast today. And I don't yeah. take it lightly. Like all my guests, um, episode 49, almost 50 episodes, um, had shared significant trauma and tragedies. And I just really appreciate you because I grew up in Japan and I didn't know like terminal uniqueness, the term, but I sure did feel alone. And I sure mm. did feel lost. And especially when I was going through sexual, child sexual abuse and then domestic violence, bullying all at once between age eight to 13, especially around 13 and 14 and 15. Uh, that's when I try to kill myself. And I, I said it, uh, I said, I described it on my, in my book, again from adversity, like vividly the moment that I thought of it. And um, I'm very glad that didn't succeed. And how did you come out of it? You know, after, I mean, like we're gonna talk a little bit more, but so you said, what, like you said after the high school and you kind of dropped out of college and then mm -hmm. that became as an action. And did, did the addiction get worse after that attempt? Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I have to, you know, give a lot of credit to my family, you know, and my parents who, when initially the first few years, when kind of they realized what was going on, um, it was still, we kept it a secret within the family. But if it was, you know, they're the ones that really were there for me and, you know, got me a therapist and stuff and frankly, you know, gave me a place to live and all this. And, um, but yeah, it was sort of a, a long arduous process. You know, it wasn't like I went to the hospital and immediately, you know, kind of believed everything that people were telling me, you know, I kind of was like, well, and also one thing I didn't mention is, you know, so my main drug that I, you know, was into was actually cannabis. So, which is traditionally also seen as like, not that big a deal, you know? Um, so, uh, that was kind of another, I don't know. I just kind of was like, well, but I did eventually get into a couple other things. Um, uh, but that was like the main thing for me. So, um, the complicated part in there was that in between the, um, the high school, the college and, you know, finally getting like sober for real, I did start, I did, um, find some success in music. So whereas before I felt that my life was purposeless, you know, um, at some point it did seem like there was a purpose there and that w I was able to maybe hide in that for a while, if that makes sense, um, to be like a functional person, you know, a function, some people say functional addict or whatever, but problematic user or something. Um, so I did have some, I did have a period of time where it felt like, oh, I found what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and maybe if I can just manage everything, you know, only get high in this situation and not in this situation, only I won't get high in the studio or I won't get high if I'm playing concerts live, you know, we're, we're touring all over the world and stuff. And, um, but, you know, eventually you sort of, I crossed all of those lines and all that, but but yeah, by the time, so it was just kind of like a few years of kind of going in and out of recovery programs, um, sort of having a therapist, but not really disclosing everything to him that I was, was really going on. 
Um, and finally, it was, it eventually got to a point where I did lose even the ability to show up for the music. And I think that that was the last straw for me in many, in many ways um, that I had kind of, I'd found a lot of kind of incredible success with that. And it was supposed to be like my childhood dream. And, you know, like what kid doesn't want to be whatever, like a rock star or something. Um, but, you know, the, the very last, uh, the very last night that I was kind of out was after a very prestigious gig in Boston Common for New Year's Eve. Um, and all I, I remember all being only interested in uh, just getting high with, we were getting paid, you know, it's a very, it's one of the best gigs you can play in Boston is to play on first night on New Year's. And, uh, I remember just not even speaking to the rest of the band and just like getting this check and just being, and just being interested in, in buying drugs the next day. And pretty soon after that, I almost got arrested. And that was like the last that was the thing that I was always like, well, that never happened to me, you know, and I, you know, at that time also, I wasn't necessarily aware of living life in the suburbs, you know, being, although yes, I am like a non-white person, but, you know, being this kind of non-white person in like a comfortable suburb versus a different kind of non-white person, maybe that might have had something to do with why I didn't get arrested or, you know, get in trouble with law enforcement and stuff. So these are things that I had no concept of. But that was kind of the final straw. Um, and then I was left with nothing, you know, so I, I couldn't really, there's nothing to hide behind anymore. So that's kind of, that was the beginning of the final sort of, you know, some people call it surrender, you know, uh, when you, when you, there's just no sort of lower that you can go and stuff. Um, and yeah, that, that was kind of where, when I finally sort of started to go into uh, recovery programs of my own free will you know, rather than feeling like somebody was like forcing me to go or, um, and really starting to take like a hard look at, um, what my life, where my life was at and like where I wanted it to go. And then how old were you at that point? Remember? 27. Oh, I was 27. Yeah. That's, that's 27. Yeah. And how old are you yeah. now? I will be 39 in October. So yeah, actually, so this year will be you know, if I make it, which I think I will, uh, I will have been sober for 12 years. And that, that is also the exact amount of time that I used drugs. So it's kind of a, there's these little milestones, you know, along the way. And I realized a little while ago that I, I used drugs for, and, you know, drank and stuff for about 12 years. So now I will have been clean and sober for 12 years. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool. It's not, there's no, there's no like science necessarily behind it, but it feels like a final like reset, you know? Wow. Well, thank you so much for being so brave and honest and then genuine, authentic um, on yes. this very topic. I met you through modeling job first, and then yep. I got to write an article about some of the theater group um, that you were involved. Um, would you mind to talk about the theater group that I wrote an article and then how you maybe found them. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm not with them anymore, but they're, they're one of the, um, one of the things that really saved my creative life, you know? So this was a, they're now called second act, but at the time they were called the improbable players. And this is a theater troupe that was founded by um, 
uh, this woman, Lynn Bratley, who herself was an alcoholic, and she decided, and she was in recovery, decided that she wanted to create works of theater related to addiction and recovery and wanted to start a company that would actually hire actors that were sober, that had been through addiction and recovery to just tell these very simple, you know, 45 minute uh, performances and plays about this. And, you know, you do the performance usually at a school or excuse me, a community center or something like that. And the best part was at the end, you would have like a talk back with the audience where you could, where people could just kind of ask you questions. And that was for me uh, along the way, you know, the other thing other than music, which I actually really loved since I was a kid was acting. And it was something that I kind of lost along the way. You know, I sort of with addiction and stuff. Yeah, I just never, it was a dream that I thought had died completely. So I remember being at a specific um, recovery meeting for artists that are in recovery. And this woman stood up and she was saying that there were these auditions happening for this theater, for her theater company. And I was still too nervous at that point to do it. So I waited about a year until I actually like worked up the courage to kind of find out more about it. And a couple of my friends in, in AA and NA had, um, had, had auditioned or had been part of the troupe. And so, so yeah, I just walked into their office in Watertown and um, auditioned and I got, I got the part like on the spot. So I was hired and then I became a working actor and it was like, that was like a really amazing, amazing gift for sure. Yeah. You can say that was the start of really the start of my acting career. Absolutely. And I just want to let audience know I'm a journalist and then I'm a Rotarian for the Fox Rotary Club. And then part of the Rotary Club, so let me explain a little bit how I met you uh, for the Improbable Players, uh, because we had this um, community committee um, that we were um, working with Safe Coalition um, for tackling the opioid epidemic. This is before the pandemic with the police officers and then the community resources and the father who whose son suffered with addiction. And along the way, I think they met the improbable players and then I was introduced to, and then I think we you know, invited you and then I wrote an article and I went to see the theater and it was very powerful because the role play and then what ifs and then the family dramas and the dialogues and then again, Q and A. And it was, I thought it was really powerful setting in the way that a lot of people who's never been through adversity don't understand the, the magnitude of the loneliness that you just described, terminal uniqueness, which I've never heard. But um, when I was in Japan in the middle of the crisis, the mental health was never talked about, sexual abuse, PTSD was never talked about. And then luckily, I wasn't like in Japan, it's very less chance to be exposed to marijuana or type of drugs because it's so illegal in Japan. Um, so we don't really have access to those things. However, alcohol, yes, it's vending machine that we don't have ID. I've never heard of ID. Like I remember having a drinking party at like sixth grade and then people were throwing up at my, you know, kind of oh, like wow. place. And it like, I was just done with it. Like a sixth grade because I've seen like so many like nastiness from like alcohol because we have no regulation in terms of alcohol, but marijuana we do. So oh, I would wow. say, 
it's very interesting that say lack of those identity crisis or maybe being immigrant being isolated or you know not accepted like you know or abuse whatever the reason it is when you launch onto this kind of addiction like you know again in the middle of addiction i think it's very hard to even recognize you're addicted my case is not a drug but sex and then because of the sexual abuse that I experienced and then over and over for many years that I didn't even know that when I grew up and then when I started to regain like my you know I think sexuality without getting violated and that turned mm. to be an addiction addiction itself and I didn't even know okay. until my friend told me that you should stop and you know sometimes when you are in the middle of the addiction you just don't even know right the you are yeah I, yeah that's i mean and again yeah i mean um i think with me i i i i knew early on that i like used drugs or whatever in a way that other people didn't but it was very hard for me to think of it and frame it as addiction um but I, I feel like I knew I was, I, I knew pretty early, but that didn't make it any easier to stop, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? So I get Absolutely. what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So let's shift our conversation to tools that you use to overcome sure. adversity. So I like this part of the podcast um, and this particular question because when I initially made this podcast, I didn't want to create a platform where people just whine and complain and then just you know talk sadness and then you know being victimized but more so empowering other people and especially the tools that people use to overcome it because typically what people would say to you is oh just go get a therapist but like especially after the pandemic especially when you're having a mass health it's impossible to get therapists there's so much Mm -hmm. weight like years of years of wait list. And when I started this podcast this year, I've had so many guests talk about so many different unique tools other than therapy that they use to overcome and it helped. And I used some of them that my guests said. So what was the tools that you used that was super helpful for you to overcome this adversity? Sure. Um, I still... 100% would absolutely recommend uh, meetings, so 12-step meetings of some kind. The cool thing now is that there's so many virtual. I mean, one thing with the pandemic is that there you can go to a meeting in Kuwait, in you know, and then the next hour you could go to one in, you know, I don't know, England or, or, or all over the world. Um, I think, so one thing I like to caution I think with it is that a lot of people have trouble with them at first. Um, not all meetings are the same, you know, for sure. Like, so basically I, for the first three years, I would say of my recovery, I think I went every day, five or at least five days a week, uh, five days a week, because for that, like, um, I needed to change my, like social circle. And I also needed to feel supported in a community. 
And so what they, what they did for me was just provide like, uh, you know, just people to bounce ideas off of people that, like you said, get it. People that, that have themselves been through not just adversity, but literally some of the same stuff that I had been through. So it was just daily, you know, hearing, you know, hearing, it, it's hard to, it's hard to, you can intellectualize it. You can, you know, think about it in lots of different ways, but it's just sort of the rigorous putting in the work. It's like thinking about going to the gym, you know, or writing down your exercises versus actually doing them and just like daily doing something, something for your recovery or do. So yeah, for me, I definitely still recommend uh, 12 step meetings uh, for folks just because they're free. That's another thing that's like, they don't cost. I mean, you can pay a dollar in the collection or whatever, but like they're free, anybody can go. So that's like a big, big thing is the accessibility. Um, and again, I just reiterate that like some are better than others. Sometimes, you know, you just need to like, just like you need to shop around for a therapist, you know, sometimes like you gotta shop around for a better meeting, um, you know? So yeah, that that's something that I would definitely recommend. So I would literally Google Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or Marijuana Anonymous or Cocaine Anonymous or, or you know, or, you know, Sex Addicts Anonymous or, or um, so yeah, that that's definitely the number one tool that worked for me in the beginning. And then, you know, after that, I did eventually get a therapist. Um, I do a lot of stuff. I did a lot of stuff later that I realized was helping me with my recovery, you know, like getting into physical activity and exercise and meditation. And, um, but for me, that's kind of, I needed, I needed a place to start. I needed a place where I could be accountable to somebody other than myself. Thank you so much for sharing that. And you do you did mention about music and acting. Would you mind to talk a little bit more about that as a tool? For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, as I mentioned, like before I got sober, I was in this kind of uh, not super famous, but like indie, indie sort of band that did get to do a lot of touring and we had a community and we still do. Um, so when I got sober, I kind of had lost all of that. You know, I had um, really lost the will to live again and stuff. And so very slowly as I built myself up, I found other sober musicians to play with, you know, and I found this uh, recovery, you know, artisan recovery community. Um, and then very slowly, you know, all those things came back in my life one piece at a time. You know, like I eventually went back to school. You know, I got a degree in a master's in community psychology. I worked in behavioral health research for a time. Um, and uh I kind of just took myself out of my own way <laughs> as much as possible, you know, just kind of not I put in a lot of work, but also like recovery is slow. You know, it's not something that happens overnight. Just like, you don't, it, it just takes time. And um, it's hard to kind of see that in the moment. Um, but it's, it's really just putting one foot in front of the other and asking for help um, for sure. But yeah. And then, you know, the band asked me to come back and I thought I would never tour again. I thought I would never play concerts again. And then I got to do even bigger concerts and like, um, now I'm in another really awesome band and like doing other amazing music stuff. And then acting too. I, I like, it came back slowly in theater. And then from theater, I got a, you know, I met another person who told me about this agent, you know? And so I, got this agent and then for the past few years I slowly started to like learn the stuff around here you know and like did a couple of indies and things and 
just this i finally this year got to do my first like really big deal movie with like a, a huge for me like a huge part on like a big action movie set and it was incredible and um just this just a month ago i was sitting there in this movie trailer listening to one of my favorite movie soundtracks from when i was a kid and used to dream about like being in a movie and like there i was and it was like a it was i will never forget that experience for the rest of my life um but yeah so and i've also voiceover i also have a podcast which is called king of the world which is what my name shah jahan means and it's a, a seven-part narrative series which uh deals with the 20th anniversary of 9 11 from the american muslim experience uh 9 11 was obviously a traumatic experience for the entire world it was sort of a double trauma for muslim americans and it actually played a much bigger role in my life and my addiction and stuff than I realized. So I made a podcast about it and it actually did really well. And this year we won a ton of awards and stuff. And um, again, these are just all things I never in a million years dreamed I would ever get to do. And just when the time was right, like just the next thing came along and I was able to take the risk and step into the discomfort. And, you know, um, yeah, it hasn't been easy, but like, it's been like a pretty incredible journey. I am so happy to hear, especially about the movie part. Sal, so <laughs> we'll talk about that later offline. <laughs> oh my gosh! So I was, I did Don't Look Up with my son Jaden, um, yeah. and I was in a movie trailer, and just the funny story that I didn't even know yeah. how to turn off the heater. Like, how do you turn off the heater? Because it was so cold. Everyone was freezing, but I had this fancy trailer with so much heat on. And then the second day, finally, we got out. There's like a knot thing under the bench thing. But anyways, um, I have a question. Somebody named Brian Hun. Um, what lessons you learned that you have changed your life? Can you answer that question for him? Wow. What lessons have I learned that have changed my life? Um. I think the biggest one is probably just because I'm thinking something in a specific moment doesn't mean that that's the be all and like, doesn't mean it's true. Number one, number two, it doesn't mean that I'm going to feel the same thing 24 hours from, from, from that moment. Um, and also to just kind of like, um, that's one. And another one is to just constantly be uh, thinking about like redefining what success means to me. That's something that my uncle actually told me a really long time ago, but um, to always sort of reevaluate my values and, um, and pause and take time to kind of like really think about uh, what, what it is that what do I think success in, in any given circumstance means, whether that, whether that's like, whatever success obviously is like a creative person, but also as just like a human being, you know, as like, um, a, a, a person that's connected to other people, you know, um, I hope that makes sense. I was kind of bouncing around a little bit there. Well, Brian, there you go. Your answer from Shahjahan Khan. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, so I really appreciate all these tools and especially, you know, music and acting that's right in my league and let's actually dive into a little bit more specific about music and especially it's kind of interesting because you were 
doing like height of music touring and stuff when you are in this addiction stage and also still um after that sober stage like would you say throughout this process of being addict and sober maybe do you use would you say music played a big role as a tool for you to kind of navigate through this yeah absolutely so i mean music is the one thing that has always been there in my life you know since the age of i don't even know three four five um so it's always no matter how far i fell down like it was always the thing that i could come back to and it was the place that i felt safest you know and it was the place where even all this like identity stuff you know all this like inner turmoil like I, that was always the thing that I felt like that it saved me in the end. Um, so it's, I'm just really fortunate to have been able to, you know, do it in a pretty, like not everybody, get, but not everybody gets to do it the way that I've been able to. And I'm really grateful for that. But, um, but yeah, it's even honestly, even in the last, cause and it's, it, the journey doesn't stop. Like, again, just because I've been sober 11 years, I'm still like learning a lot about myself and, you know, like you just, just, Last year, I'm so, so I'm currently I'm I'm in Providence, uh, Rhode Island. I'm at my bandmate's place. So I've been I've been in this other band for about a year and a half. And um, the reason I am in it is because I honestly took a risk. You know, I kind of my other uh, band that I'd been with for 18 years was kind of dying down, and I was still in this place where I was like, oh man, you know, will I ever do anything? cool or meaningful again and so it was time to take a risk and try something new so i reached out to this old friend and you know we we got together last year and and we've been kind of inseparable musically since and so there's always room to grow there's always like new new things that i'm learning about myself and definitely like new experiences out there um it's just um yeah it just it's it's hard to think to to realize that you know just 11 years is not that it's a significant amount of time it's not that long but like yeah 11 years ago like i could not have dreamed of like you know i just been kicked out of my band and like i never could have imagined that um my life would look the way that it looks today well another thing i want to mention is to me maybe you can echo when i'm acting and when i did act on don't look up there was a scene that's cut, but um, Oscar-winning director, writer Adam McKay told me to be more panicky and then like, you know, on the edge. And I was able to like write back to my PTSD panic attack mode on million dollars set in front of the camera. And I think that is such a unique toolbox that I have as somebody who went through the adversity versus maybe who's never been to this kind of traumatic situations or you know adversity have you kind of experienced that on a set that where you have some access to or like in the theater too like deep emotion emotional connection instant connection that you could make when you're playing these characters um, yeah, I mean, I think any any good uh, actor that's kind of what they what we do is we draw on our um, we draw on what we know and we bring 
pieces of ourselves to like whatever um yeah whatever role we're like asked to play um i don't know so much that i'm like grateful for it in that sense i mean I, i'm obviously grateful for everything that i've been through but but yeah i mean it's not it's not hard for me to like draw on traumatic stuff i guess <laughs> um and yeah I, th I think definitely another thing is yeah trauma and, and that kind of stuff comes in so many different forms um and it just looks different for different people and um but yeah for sure um i mean yeah i i haven't done like that much um well that's not true i've done a reasonable amount of things now but but yeah yeah definitely um i think going back to probably improbable players um i remember for example um my parents being in the audience for one show and that bringing out something you know we're in this in a particular play for example we're playing a family where i'm playing a father actually a father of two children a son who's like going through some heavy stuff and and, and knowing that my father was in the audience also kind of brought it home in like a different way. Um, so, yeah. Well, thank you so much. So my last question is a gift that came from the adversity. So how would you say a gift that came from your adversity? Just a second chance, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, 10th chance at life and it's just a beautiful life i mean i any day if i choose to look at my life i mean i have a wonderful partner i'm married you know i'm i'm there for my family i i i'm just doing everything literally everything i ever wanted to do as a creative person and more you know and just a life basically is is the gift you know i just i 11 years ago or even earlier than that i just I, the world was just so small to me you know and it's just become endless you know well thank you so much before we close our show a gift from adversity i would love to give you a chance and a voice to some people who may be going through some similar adversity what would be your advice yeah i think i i think i mentioned it already specifically if it's you know substance abuse related find a, a meeting literally right now you can go on google you can look up uh, alcoholics anonymous or narcotics anonymous or and, or just and find them there, there's literally thousands and tens and thousands of meetings you can go to online there's probably at least five on any given night in all major cities. So, you know, um, just just do something, something for your recovery every day. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, thank for, you for having me. Yes, absolutely. And thank you for our audience for tuning into another episode of A Gift from Adversity. I have another show coming up tomorrow night. Um, so I'm very excited. And thank you again, Kajhan, and I will see you soon. Sounds good.